Hey, welcome to the show. Today we'll be interviewing Darius Amadi. He is a clown and stand-up comedian, originally from the Seattle area. He went to school out there, then moved to New York City, where he was a stand-up comedian for a while, and then from there discovered the world of clowning. He attended a workshop in London with the famous clown teacher Philippe Gallier, and then after that was so intrigued by the concepts and the format that he actually studied with him in Paris for two years and just graduated there in this spring. And then after that, developed the show with some people he met at school and brought that to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland this summer in August. So we'll be talking about predominantly the clown world, what clowning even means, dispelling some of the connotations about that. And then we get into a bit of clown theory, some terminology that is used when articulating and dissecting the art form. And then we get into the difference between stand-up and clown and sort of the juxtaposition of the two radically different styles of comedy, even though they're both striving for the same thing. I think you'll find he's very insightful, very funny, has some awesome anecdotes from all of his crazy experiences in the world of comedy. Um, he's a great guy. I was fortunate enough to meet him last year in Norway when we both did a clowning in nature workshop together with Phil Bergers or Dr. Brown, which we'll talk briefly about, but really just enjoy listening to him. He's really wise and someone I look up to and someone I think is really worth people's attention and someone to be on the lookout for because I think he's on the rise. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. So I feel like you probably were first exposed to stand-up as like the primary medium oh, of comedy, okay. and then I'm sort of curious when you realized there was other stuff. Well, it's interesting. It was almost backwards for me because um, like I always thought okay, I'll do stand-up comedy. I always thought that when I was a kid. So I used to, like, write jokes and have a notebook and, and write material and, like, perform in front of my friends in, like, the garage when I was a kid. I used to do that, and I just assumed I'm going to do stand-up. But then um, then I started... Um, I don't know if you remember this comedian named Tom Green. Okay. I don't know if you were too young. Do you know Tom Green? I know he had, like, a alternative talk show type deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like, he was, yeah, really, really absurd. He was the one who who started like man on the street stuff and and messing with people on the streets. And he was just making really crazy stuff. And he became he was at the height of fame when his show popped off on MTV. Like I don't even think you could get that style of famous anymore. But he was so famous. And I saw that when I was maybe fifteen, fifteen years old. And then I thought, holy shit, you could do this for comedy mm -hmm. instead of just like traditional stand-up or sketch so i started doing that kind of comedy i was making really really absurd crazy videos and um like just being absurd i would do shows and just have really really absurd shows and uh like um just crazy stuff and i was, I was doing that for years and then that got me actually on mtv filming with tom green when i was 17 that was like wow mind blowing for me there was um there was this he had a show and there was a contest where you can make a video and send it into the show convincing him uh to come to your city and film with you and i did it and i was i just did it just to just to make something and send it in i i never even thought i would win i didn't even put my uh contact information in the submission i just <laughs> didn't even think i would ever win and then i won and they they put that on tv and they came out and we filmed segments together it was it was wild it was crazy so i was doing 
I was doing more of that style of comedy. But then I think what happened was in, I think in, in America, we, the market is stand up and improv and sketch. There's not really a market for crazier, crazier stuff. So I thought I have to, um, I have to, to make money. I, th- I think I have to go through stand up is what I thought. I thought something like that. So, so where did you start doing stand up? Because you went to school in Washington for three years, correct? Mm-hmm. And you studied creative writing, right? Yeah. Well, first, I didn't even want to go to college at first. I wanted to, I wanted to just straight from high school. I thought, I thought I could just keep making videos and like put together some demos and shop it to networks. That was kind of what my thinking was. But, um, and I actually think that was the right thing to do. I think I should have done that. But. Uh, immigrant parents were, like they would have murdered me if I would have done that so I thought let me just go to college for one year just to make them happy and then while I'm there I'll just make stuff and shop it to networks so then I went to college for one year and then and then I was still performing and doing stuff but I hadn't I still had not done stand-up yet I'd done it once maybe at my at my high school or like a couple times but I haven't really done it so then um, the school I was at didn't have a stand-up scene really. It was um, it was outside of Seattle. So then I decided I want to go to a school in Seattle so I could start getting into the clubs and doing stand-up. So maybe when I was around nineteen, twenty, twenty or so, nineteen, that's when I started like writing material and going into stand-up clubs and performing. And then, so throughout my when I was in college, I was doing that. I would just go, uh, I told some story about my mom and how she got really mad at me. It was like a real story and I told it. So it wasn't really set up punchline. It was more just telling a story in a funny way. And it killed. It was the first time I ever killed in a club. And then, um, that's when like some of the comedians were telling me like, uh, like that was so good. We're going to get you on all these shows. And then that's when I kind of started working a little bit in seattle and then i thought then that was when i had to really try to figure out stand-up and i started becoming a wanker like a stand-up wanker <laughs> like i'm gonna get like serious i'm gonna watch bill hicks i didn't even like bill hicks it's like yeah i'm gonna watch bill hicks <laughs> and i was like everything that sucked and wasn't funny i thought was like was supposed to be good mm-hmm. you know what i mean and then unlearning everything you had previously discovered through tom green and the alternative scene right yeah, and and just what was more natural to me, right? So, like I just thought, and then and then I started becoming ashamed of the stuff that I was doing before, mm-hmm. being like, "God, oh, Bill Hicks wouldn't have liked that." <laughs> <laughs> and I hated Bill Hicks the whole time. I was just watching Bill Hicks and hating it, <laughs> thinking I should be like that. Wow, it was a, it was a really uh, that's such really a reverse story. I feel like of everyone else I know in the clowning community. I feel like everyone else comes from an improv or stand-up background and then sort of has those realizations in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, I went the other way. I went the other way. I reverted into, into like, a, a hack stand-up comedian. <laughs> Was there any, like, pivotal moment that made you desire to go back to your old ways or to this new growth, grown-up version of that? It's like, yeah, well, because I think what helps you do clown or do that style um 
doesn't help you to do stand-up and vice versa like what helps you to do well in stand-up is is gonna hurt you in doing clown like they're almost opposites right and and um like i used to be before getting into stand-up i used to be really open and vulnerable and not care and like take a lot of risks and then once i started trying to figure out how to be bill hicks then <laughs> i just became like really guarded and um like just uh i don't know like the relationship with the audience changed for me it was like i have to learn how to dominate this these i need to dominate them and and lead them into into accepting my thoughts and and then like at one point i realized um ah oh, yeah like good stand up comedians have um a really good perspective like they have interesting opinions on things so i'm like i i would try to force opinions on things i didn't give a shit about or like read the news and think okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna have an angle on this on news <laughs> and i just didn't give a shit but i was trying to give a shit for years but it's not like i was so horrible i was i was i was okay i was getting shows and and i was i was doing it but i wasn't really enjoying it but not really realizing that i wasn't enjoying it that much does that make any sense yeah totally so i'm just like doing it and then like um but i wasn't so i stayed in yeah i went i went after college i went to um i went back to new york and i think new york has by far the best stand up comedians they like treat stand up fully as an art form whereas in places like la they see it as a, a means to get on tv or something else or just exposure mm -hmm. but in new york they really treat it like it, it's it's the end all be all and i just like all the the style and and my style was more more like that so i go over there and when is and, this year wise when you go to new york huh? what like year did you go to new york 2013 12 2013 somewhere okay. around there got it i do that for i don't know a couple years and i get i get into i get into my favorite club there's a club called stand up new york on the upper west side and it was like for some reason it was always my favorite club and even in the city it was my when i was there it was my favorite club and um so there's about a year period where i'm working at that club and i'm doing uh like guest spots and check spots i don't know if you know what those are but uh not the I'm second like, one could you explain both though yeah sure it's well a guest spot is they have a lineup so the shows are like uh they're like showcase shows in new york so you have a show five to six comedians on the show we people are doing like 15 15 minutes 15 20 minutes each and that's what the show is so a guest spot a guest spot is when you're not on the official bill, but they just put you up for like five, ten minutes. Okay. Um, and you perform. The check spot is the worst, worst, worst spot you could do in comedy. And it's it's the spot they give comedians when they're breaking you into a club. You kind of like, it's your initiation into the club. You have uh -huh. to do it. So it's when uh, throughout the whole show, people are ordering drinks and ordering food. And they... They don't want to drop the checks at the very, very end of the show because they don't want to handle people leaving or trying to skip the bill. So they drop it before the last comedian. And that's, <laughs> that's called the check spot. So they throw up a comedian like me 
on stage <laughs> every no one's paying attention and everyone's arguing <laughs> what and how, how much are you going to tip so no one's paying attention to you that's you great. don't know if you're doing like 10 15 20 25 minutes you just have to go until uh everybody's paid and they give you the light mm-hmm. so it's, <laughs> it's like a it's the worst <laughs> spot it's so horrible but um that's hilarious man i was I was doing those, so I'm I'm doing those, and I was thinking. I remember at that time, and like, I'm I'm working with comedians that I've admired for like for years and years. These are guys uh, that I've always looked up to and wanted to be like, and they're just working on the shows with me. And there's there's no hierarchy in these clubs in New York. So if you're at the club and you're a comic, it's just respect between comics. You hang out at the bar together. You hang out in front of the club while the shows are going on after the shows you go out together so for a year i was living this like it was it, to me i was living the dream uh-huh. i didn't have i didn't have a day job i was just performing hanging out with these guys and then one day i was sitting there and i was thinking this is the height of where of all the work that i've been doing for years and years i'm now at like the where it's starting to pay off and it's only going to get better from here. Uh, and then I was thinking, I'm like watching guys get ready to go up. And I'm watching guys like go over their notes and discussing their points of view on things. And then I thought, I don't have the same passion. Like, I really don't give a fuck about people hearing my opinion on this on this subject. I just like getting the laps. But mm-hmm. I don't really care to have a point of view. And I don't really care so much to work on my jokes in the same way that everyone else is so i kind of saw it as if i don't have this passion i'm kind of it's going to be harder for me to come to compete and then like once things get kind of rough five ten years like the dips you're going to go through it's going to be harder for me to deal with those dips than it is if you're really passionate about it so i kind of i just i kind of just recognize that in myself and then I started asking myself, well, what uh, what else would there be if it wasn't this? It's clearly not, I'm not going to go be a lawyer or anything like that. It's, it's, nothing, it's nothing outside of performing. It's still performing, but what is it? So I started to think back to when I was doing more of the ridiculous, absurdist stuff. And then I was remembering um, how much I love Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm-hmm. And I was just remembering, like, fuck, he's he talks about race and these social issues in a way that's way lighter than when anyone else talks about it in America. Like taking in stand-up comedians to to the Daily Show. There's there's a certain I felt heaviness. What am I trying to say? Like a whole holier than thou um, way it comes across. It becomes like preachy. But I thought when he does it, it's it's so light. What's going on? So I started, uh, I started like trying to analyze what was going on. So I was like watching his videos, and I was thinking if I could just figure out how he talks about these subjects in such a light way and bring that into my stand-up, then I'm gonna really enjoy doing stand-up. That was kind of what I thought the solution was gonna be. So I'm studying Sasha Cohen, and I'm trying to figure this out. And then I listened to an interview with him one day on uh, WTF, Mark Maron's podcast. Right, right. 
And he talks about how we went to this school in France and yeah, we studied clown in this thing called Buffon. And when he started describing Buffon, I thought, oh, fuck, this, <laughs> is, this is what he's doing. He's doing Buff- this thing called Buffon. Right. So it blew me away that there was actually something you could study. So I looked into it and I saw um, Philippe, uh, the teacher, I saw that he does, he has a school and I never thought I would go to this school, but I thought he does workshops. So maybe I'll just go into a workshop. And he, I looked at his uh, schedule and he wasn't doing anything in the States for years. And I know he's old. So I thought, fuck, I have to go and go to one of these workshops. I just have to go and do it. So I saw he was doing a Buffon workshop in London. So I booked it. I got the plane tickets. I went out to London. And within the first time I was on stage in front of Philippe, he tore me apart. Like, I thought, (laughs) (laughs) I thought, like, okay, I'm a comedian. I'm from New York. I'm working at one of my favorite clubs. I was like, I'm funny. I, I, I got something. Right. And within within like two seconds, he destroys me. And and, and can you and, describe and, him? I feel like you need to paint the picture of who this man is. He's he, <laughs> he's French and he's he used to be a touring clown and now he teaches and he has a school in France and people come from all over the world to go and study with him. And he basically what he does is he sits there in in like the middle of the audience like the front center of the audience and he's he sits with a drum and he just looks pissed off he looks like he wants to kill you and he tells you he you never know what you're gonna do he just goes i need uh, two actors on stage so you you go up on stage and then he gives you something to do he'll say um like do a do an advert for shampoo or something like that he bangs the drum which means it's time for you to start and the second that you're boring or unfunny or horrible in any way he bangs the drum and insults you and rips you apart rips you apart like he'll and and this could be after two seconds three seconds four it's he judges second by second so um, I forgot what the first thing he said to me was. Um, but I remember once he said <laughs> in that workshop, he said to this girl, he uh, and and he'll he'll he always asks the audience to join in. So this girl was on stage and he bangs the drum, and then he looks at the audience and he and he picks out somebody in the audience, and he says, "Ah, you, uh, would you rather eat?" a dry sandwich or have a quick little fuck with her in the corner of the room and the guys like in the audience is like oh my god and the, the, she she's on stage like looking at you and then the guy's like uh and Philippe is like quick fuck in the corner or dry sandwich and the guy will be like uh dry sandwich oh, no. and then he's like <laughs> and then he's like ah so nasty he'll look at you on stage and go did you hear this he would rather eat a dry sandwich than have a quick fuck with you in the car now (laughs) and he he'll find a way to insult you like that he never changes so there's never that's what his method is he 
puts you on stage. You do something. You never know what you're going to do. You do it. The second you're horrible, <laughs> he bangs the drum and insults you and then tells you to get off the stage. And that's it. And you just have to keep going up over and over and over. And you just try to go longer and longer and longer on stage. I was like, bad, bad. I was so bad. I was so bad. And then um, at one point, I did something and it worked. And then it was like, it was, uh, he let me stay on stage for maybe, I don't know, like a minute and a half or something. And it was this surreal moment because you, you have to, like in front of him, his the, you instantly realize the standards are different than what you're used to. So my standards, even being in New York in the clubs, much lower than the standards on in front of Philippe on his stage. So he let me go for like a minute and a half. And it was, I was like mocking like a, uh, like a, like a pompous British racist woman or something like that. And I was getting laughs in this way. I never would have thought to do what I do what I did if he didn't like push me in that direction. So I was like getting these laughs and it felt so good. It felt so much better than stand up. So then after this week, I went back and instantly my stand up had already changed. The way like I, I always had all these questions during stand up. Um all these questions and I was always searching for the answers to these questions, like certain questions, like, well, what, what's my, when I get on stage, what is immediately my intent with an audience besides just making them laugh? Like what I, I had these, I don't know, I guess uh, just these artistic questions about stand up, and I would read books or listen to podcasts or interviews or talk to other comedians. And I'd never got good answers. Everyone has different ideas and different opinions on what to do. One week with Philippe, he answered every single question I've ever had. And I went back and my stand-up was completely different. And the way I was interacting with the audience was different. The way I was on stage was different. Everything was different. So I thought, holy fuck, if this, if, if I've changed this much from just one week with him, imagine what it would be like if I did a few of his workshops. So then I... Uh, decided to go to his school, not for the whole thing, just for like four four workshops that uh -huh. I thought were going to help me with my stand up. And can you sort of describe how the school, the schedule works? It's sort of a la carte. You can either do the full year or one section. There's, there's two years. The first year is it's a theater school for the first year. So the first year is like workshops that are um, like three to four weeks long. And you go through many different subjects. So you first go through his uh, Le Jeu, which is his philosophy on theater, like his, the, the basis of everything. And then you'll do Neutral Mask, you'll do Greek Tragedy, you'll do Shakespeare, you'll do melodrama characters, you'll do Clown, Buffon, you do all these different things. And But you don't have to do the whole year. So people just come and pick and choose things they want to do. Like I want to do three weeks of Clown and three weeks of characters or something. You could do whatever. Um, so what did you end up doing? So I, I signed up for Lejeune, his the basis of what he, he teaches. And then um, Neutral Mask, because that's what um, uh, Michiko is. Michiko is his wife, and she's also like, she's kind of like an assistant teacher in a way. She recommended that uh, Neutral Mask is the most important thing to do. Uh, Lejeune and Neutral Mask. So I did those two. 
and then I signed up for Buffon and Clown. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll do these, and then I'm going to come back to New York, and my stand-up is going to just blow people away. It's going to be so amazing. I thought this was going to be great. And then I got there, and it changes changes you so much. It changed me so much. Just within those first two, I saw so much growth because I was still doing stand-up. So I was going into into Paris, and I was doing spots at clubs, like English-speaking shows. And I was just seeing how much it was changing me. And I started falling in love with uh, like that performance style more than stand-up. So then I was thinking, okay, I got to do more. Maybe I'll do like the first term. And then I ended up doing the whole entire first year. And then um, after that, I thought I have to do the second year. And the second year is really uh, intense. And it's a it focuses on only three subjects. It only focuses on clown bouffant and vaudeville vaudeville acting and that's it but you go deeper you do 10 weeks on each subject and it's really hard you have to um the first year and the first the workshops in the first year anybody could come and do it you just pay the money and, and show up but in the second year you have to ask the leap you have to do i think the majority of first year then you have to ask the leap if you could do the second year and uh i think he says yes to pretty much everybody but he did say no to some people hmm. in the first year when I did it. He just says, you're not ready or you're like, <coughs> you, you won't do well. Were you pretty confident you'd get uh, the yes from Philippe after the first year? No, not at, I was scared. I didn't want to ask him for a long time. And I was, I, I waited. I thought like, let me wait till I have a decent day on stage. And then after I'm going to go ask him. And um, I was horrible. Like the whole first year, I was terrible. So, so, so bad the whole first year. And, um, yeah, and then I asked him, and then he said, yes, but I'm going to suffer a lot. That's what he said to me. He goes, yes, but you will suffer a lot. In the summer, in between the first and the second year, um, that's when we, that's when we went and did the Dr. Brown workshop together. Right, that's where we met in Norway. Yeah, and so I had just done three weeks of Clown with Philippe. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the Dr. Brown. So then I was having so much fun doing clown. And I was, that's, that's when I realized after doing it, clown with Philippe and with Dr. Brown that, oh shit, the thing I was doing before stand up was clown. I just didn't know what it was called mm-hmm. and I didn't see it anywhere. So I didn't know it was anything or there was a marketplace for it like there is in Europe. I was just, it was just the thing I was naturally doing for some reason. Right. And so, I think it's important to, clarify what we mean by clown especially because i imagine a lot of americans will be listening to this and i think that still conjures up images of a red nose and lame birthday parties and yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well clown is clown is making an audience laugh and getting paid for it is basically what it is um but i guess more technically like a a stand-up comedian interacts with the audience but a stand-up comedian will say this and then say this and then say this. And that's where everyone is supposed to laugh and they laugh. And if they don't laugh at that, the punchline of where they're supposed to laugh, then the stand-up has failed <laughs> and will um, try to rewrite the joke and make it perfect so that it works every single time. So like a successful stand-up set, they say, they say this, 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 people laugh. They say this, 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 people laugh. They control exactly where the laugh is. Whereas in clown, it's um, 
you go up and you do something for the audience that's supposed to be so funny and they're gonna love it and they're gonna laugh and they're gonna love it and then it flops and they don't laugh and then uh the clown will then sound so wanky the clown, no this is this the is the part where it gets interesting um, though yeah so the the clown will do something that's supposed to be funny and it's not funny mm-hmm. and then will do something to save the moment and then gets everybody laughing and then we'll do something else that's supposed to be funny it's not funny and then we'll save the moment so a clown is is almost like inverse stand-up like you you have to be bad first right and then you can be funny but the way that you save it is so pure and it's something so personal to your Vulnerable, own stupidity even. that you can't even describe what it would be and you can't plan it like in stand-up like in stand-up is it you could be clever you could know if i miss if i make them think this and then say this while they're thinking that then it's gonna be funny there's like a could be like a, a formula to it whereas in clown the way you make an audience laugh is just some unique stupid 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 part of yourself <laughs> that you might not even know exists you have to kind of put yourself in the shit and be so horrible in front of an audience that you're going to just discover it and you're going to be surprised. I remember in, um, in when we did clown with Philippe in the second year, um, every time people found out how they were funny or would discover ways that they were funny, it was never a way that they wanted to be funny and everyone was always disappointed like after after the class they'd be like fuck like i don't want to be funny like this every i was like that everybody was like that so what were you funny in that you didn't were you just oh come on this i thought maybe i would be funny in in maybe a more like smiling charming kind of way um but i was more funny being like screaming at the top of my lungs and like throwing big tantrums and just being really big and angry and paranoid and like um just just like in a way where I never would have thought that it would be it would be funny and then Philippe would always tell us that uh like when people are laughing your clown is near and when they stop laughing it's gone away from your body and and in clown when you uh, oh my God, such this is becoming so wanker. No, no, go ahead. But uh, when they laugh and clown, you're supposed to. The clown loves laughter, mm-hmm. loves laughter. So when they laugh, and you don't even know why they're laughing, you don't care. You just keep going in that direction, mm-hmm. and you keep building and building. So like, if you get laughs, like with me, I would get laughs being like really paranoid and confused and angry or, or whatever and speaking almost in like a racist African voice <laughs> it was just like you can't judge it they laugh you don't know why they're laughing and you just keep going and keep going in that direction and Philippe always told us that if you get laughs in a certain way you have to stay with it for two to three years at least <laughs> and and discover and otherwise you're a deep idiot because you've, you've discovered something and you'll discover more and more if you stick with it than if you try to change. So it's, it's what happened to everybody. I don't think anybody had, I don't think anyone was happy with how they were funny 
at the beginning like mm -hmm. everyone was jealous of other people's way of being funny they would go oh, i'm funny like this but i wish i was funny like you you get to yell i just smiled like we were all complaining about it but um because it, it's a bizarre feeling because in stand-up you're choosing how to present yourself you're choosing the type of jokes you know you could be self-deprecating you could have like a crazy opinion on something and convince people to agree with you um whereas in clown you're just so in the shit and desperate and then you just do something and it makes people laugh and you just have to stay with that and it's it's, it's a bizarre bizarre experience that was a very good explanation. I want to ask you a bit more on the shit. I mean, I'm familiar with the term, but I think it's a pretty common clown term. And I just was wondering what, how you would explain that to somebody who's not necessarily seen clown or familiar with the genre at all. Being in the shit is you are on stage. You have an audience in front of you. They're so happy. They've paid money to laugh and pee in their pants. They can't wait to see something funny. You come out. It's your responsibility to make them laugh. You do something, and it's not funny at all. And now it's heavy. The room is heavy, and they're looking at you. They're going, is that it? That's, mm -hmm. You're supposed to be funny. And then and you're in that crisis, right? Huh? You're in this crisis, and there's this palpable tension in the room, and you you see your shame and the oh shit look in your eyes, and yeah, exactly. So it's it's, it's basically just bombing or, or flopping. You you go to do something funny, and it's not funny, and everyone is aware of it, mm -hmm. and you it, it, it's painfully obvious that there has been failure. It's failing basically in front of an audience. I th I think the people who like to do clown or have a uh, aptitude to do it. Um, like to be in the shit, like that feeling. Mm -hmm. So, like you have pleasure to, to oh shit, they're, they're not laughing and it's tense and they need something to to save it. Mm -hmm. I think when you do clown, you like that pressure and you like that feeling, and you like to be like oh fuck. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's a bit daredevil. You know, you're evil can evil every ten seconds. Yeah. And you gotta pull out all uh, the tricks. And it's and it's like I, I found in in Philippe's school um, in my class in, in the second year it clown broke some people I mean there was one girl who left it went to I think she went to like Peru or something afterwards to <laughs> find herself like it, it broke some people because um, when you're in the shit and especially in front of Philippe and you're in the shit and you can't save it you go deeper in the shit and then you try something else and it doesn't save it and you go deeper in the shit it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and some people never saved it some people you're just always in the shit and you can't get out and it just wears on your spirit wow. and but it's like a thing you have to go through in order to discover how you're going to be funny you need that and i think that's why people who like to do clown at least speaking for myself is it's you like the shit because you you like that pressure to then discover something and you can't discover that thing or you can't be funny without it mm -hmm. so it's it's just like part of your toolkit you you kind of need it otherwise you can't do it do definitely clown. and it also makes it exciting for you every night whereas stand-up you kind of know the beats and rhythms of what you're going to do but you're going to find different moments every single night if you're just constantly in the shit and you have to find yeah, new ways sure. and, and it's so fun to be in the shit like um well you know this i was doing a show in edinburgh and um we we created the show <coughs> in two in two weeks this is like a total clown experience we we created the show in two weeks 
and then we did a preview in Oslo. And like before we did the preview, we had 20 numbers and we were thinking like, oh my God, it's going to be so funny. <laughs> oh my God, it's going to be so hilarious. Within the first five seconds of being, a, I was on stage, I went into a deep, deep flop within the first five seconds and realized, oh shit. And, and everything I was doing to try to save it wasn't working. So I just sunk for the entire show, the entire preview. I was horrible and they hated me. So then when we got to Edinburgh, we have a whole show to do for a month. And I had to start from zero. I had no more numbers. Nothing I did worked. And no one else on our show, there was four of us. No one else on the show was like that. So um, two, two of my friends, everything that they did pretty much worked. And um, uh, the other person, she most, most stuff she did worked. It just needed some tweaking. Um, whereas with me, I had nothing. And I enjoyed that experience of, all right, here, tonight is the first show. Uh, these are what I'm going to try to do, but I'm truly in the shit right now. Wow. And I just have to go and discover these numbers in front of people every single night. And I loved it. I actually really loved it. And I, um, the things I did discover and the numbers, one of the numbers that I ended up discovering was it was open to be different every single night just by what it was and it's so much more fun it's for me it's than stand up because you're so much you're so much more in the moment and get to play with play with the audience and, and it's more fun for and, them too because they don't know what's going to happen next either yeah and and it's it's very obvious that this is just happening right here in the moment mm -hmm. that we're all kind of experiencing this for the first time together and it's really fun do you think it can translate over a screen do you think clown is something that can be understood while watching from afar without actually being in the room and feeling the tension if it's i think if it's if the audience is given the right context yeah of course <coughs> like oh, that's something that we found out in edinburgh um so how would you do that without just mansplaining it or clownsplaining it to them we kind of had to clown explain it. Like we, <laughs> we thought we, like we, like we first thought we'll start with this piece. Like we thought, oh, would they just need to be like hyped up? Like we just need to announce it. So then we would announce, like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I get people excited, and then we would do the same number, and they would still go, what the hell? What, are we, what the hell is going on? We kind of had to just tell people what we're gonna do, right? And then get them a little excited and then just go into it and then they were on board i guess clown yeah as long as it's presented like eric andre is doing ridiculous stuff and just by virtue of what network it's on um right i think adult swim is the closest thing the united states has i mean most people here just classify it as alternative comedy whatever that means but yeah I'd say which it's is, the closest. Which is what I would classify clown as, too. Mm -hmm. These Because, like you are saying earlier, you think clown people think red nose and they think, you know, a horrible birthday clown. So, it's it's not even... I don't know. I guess clown is just being funny. So, it's it's just doing comedy. And, um, yeah, because even, like, even when you say alternative comedy... Um, a lot of stand-up comedians would call themselves alternative comedy, but that's not like 
John Luke Roberts right. is doing. You know what I mean? Because like, immediately, so much more. I think of like Neil Brennan and everyone saying, "Oh, it's so alternative." He has three microphones, and one of them he does jokes, but the other one he does serious <laughs> stuff. It's like, no, that's just stand up with a gimmick. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's difficult yeah. to convey. I don't know. My I, my plan is just hire a really a really genius marketing expert to uh, figure it out for me. Well, lucky for you, I'm about to get my uh, marketing degree. <laughs> Oh, baby. Let's go. Well, thanks, man. This has been really great. I appreciate you taking time to do this. Uh, I think we got some really awesome stuff, and I'm excited to see how it all comes out. (laughs) Uh, Thank you to SeatGeek. Thank you to... um, Thanks to MeUndies. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks again to Darius. Once again, he'll be doing his show, Kissing Cousins, at the Adelaide Fringe in March next year. Look out for that. He also will be doing a run at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Thanks again for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care.